22 years of food banking, and what I see is that hunger has never gone down. Yeah. Um, it's stabilized, but it has never gone down. If we don't have a recession in the next 12 months, and if nothing horrible happens to the federal safety net, um, there are no huge cuts to federal safety net programs like SNAP, this may be the year in which we actually see hunger start to take a downturn in Oregon. And to me, that would want a hallelujah chorus if we were absolutely able to see that turn down. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy Lapointe. Today, I talk with Susanna Morgan and Rachel Bristol from the Oregon Food Bank. The Oregon Food Bank and their network of 21 regional food banks distributes food to, on average each month, an estimated 260,000 people in Oregon and Clark County, Washington. Rachel retired in 2012 after serving as executive director and CEO, and that's when Susanna took over as CEO of the Oregon Food Bank. So the food bank as we know it, as the Oregon Food Bank, uh, has been around since 1988. Uh, and Rachel, you were instrumental with that, um, combining, well, you gave me that look. Uh, <laughs> A lot of people were instrumental right, in that. <laughs> right. Uh, but you were at the helm. or That's right. Yeah. I was uh, serving as acting executive director of Oregon Food Share. Yes. At that time. And the board was negotiating uh, with the board of interagency food bank on bringing the two food banks together. We shared space in Southeast mm -hmm. Portland and um, just realized it was time the, to bring the two organizations together. So um, I worked with the board to accomplish that and we merged interagency food bank into under the umbrella of Oregon Food Shares nonprofit and then renamed the organization Oregon Food Bank. Did you guys do that because there was duplication going on? Um, Frankly, it was mainly driven by the funders. Okay. Interagency Food Bank had started first in about 1975 and um, other areas around the state as the economy got weaker and weaker said, why don't we have uh, what they're doing in Portland in other areas of the state? Mm -hmm. And so Oregon Food Share was created to develop regional food banks around the state to uh, provide the same function that interagency food bank did of getting uh, large quantities of food and distributing it to the smaller direct service agencies that, you know, couldn't handle a whole pallet, much less a whole truckload of right. food. I'm so fascinated to hear you characterize it as um, Oregon Food Share founded to start the regional food banks, because my impression was that Oregon Food Share was founded to be the statewide distribution mechanism. Was that also true? Uh -huh. It was a combination. Uh -huh. There were um, a number of, actually gleaning was um, the major operation happening 
around the state that functioned as, um, and and that's what we went to, the community action agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them had gleaning organizations. Mm-hmm. And those evolved into, we worked with the community action agencies initially to serve as the regional food banks. So we, you know, developing the, and then worked with those organizations to develop all the policies of how are we going to share the food and, and get it distributed equitably. You know, in the in the early days, uh, we had no trucks. <laughs> 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 we, um, and so the regional food banks would find volunteers, and it was often, often the gleaning uh, groups that would drive to Portland and pick up the food. Wow. And it wasn't until uh, Ronald Reagan released the USDA commodities in mass. Well, initially, th- that too was done by renting trucks and by hook and by crook, you know, my vo- Volkswagen station wagon, um, <laughs> any way we could. <laughs> um, and I will have to say the trucking industry then was just phenomenal in donating when we, we needed to. We did get some donated transportation to La Grande and, you know, far reaches where there was no way they could get in and mm-hmm. pick up food. But once there was a little bit of money for distribution in 83, 84, more like 84, that's when we got the first warehouse and we were able to lease a first truck. But we were restricted that we could only distribute USDA commodities on that. And so we would deliver the USDA commodities. And for a year or so, the uh, regional food banks still had to come to Portland to pick up the privately donated food. Mm. Of course, at that point, the volume was so high of the USDA commodities that and they had limited space that um, we could only push so much of the privately donated food through the system. So So this is making me think two things. Um, This is my 22nd year in and around food banking, San Francisco, Boston, Alaska, and now Oregon. And to my knowledge, no other state was thinking about statewide networks in the late 70s and early 80s and intentionally creating food bank networks. So what we have now as the legacy of all of this work is uh, uh, 21 regional food banks serving 1,200 food pantry, soup kitchen, senior centers all across the state and Clark County, Washington, supported by the Statewide Warehouse of Oregon Food Bank. And no other state has a system like that. And I regularly get calls from food banks around the country saying, uh, how do I build that? And my answer is, well, go back 35 years and right. do it differently. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I you? can tell you, I, I had the same thing. How did you guys do this? It's like, well, it seemed like the right idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible, though, that to this day there are states that don't have a statewide program. I mean, you'd think that was more common. And there are those that will argue with you. I, I can remember in the um, in the late 90s when we started the capital campaign to build the main warehouse and uh, the board chair at the time, Jerry Tippins, who was retired associate editor of the Oregonian, um, he and I were at a 
at a national conference and he was talking up of you know the our statewide network and we're going to build this building and and uh, the the guy from Maryland, a board member from Maryland, said, well, we have a statewide food <laughs> bank. And it was like, you don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> the geography is right. quite different. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little smaller than Oregon. So there are some states, I right. think, who, who technically can right. say they distribute statewide, but... It's like distributing in Lane County. Right, right. <laughs> Size. <laughs> not, not that that's not a challenge. No. So, Susanna, you've been with uh, the Oregon Food Bank now for six years. We did the math uh, as chief executive officer stepping in when Rachel retired. There was a lot of legwork done, but the challenges remain. So when you stepped up uh, and came into the program... What were some of those things that you, with your background in these other food banks, said, okay, I can bring some fresh ideas. This is what I want to do. Mm, good question. Um, well, first, I have to say that uh, I, I regularly say that I'm standing on the shoulders of a diminutive giant. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it was such a blessing to have, to come into the organization that Rachel and um, board and community built together. Uh, and one of the things that drew me to uh, to come to Oregon Food Bank was the fact that so much had already been done. So I am 100% driven by trying to end hunger and um, uh, not just feed people today, although that is a good and worthwhile thing and worth giving your life to, but to to get to the point in which no one needs food assistance because we've changed society so that that hunger doesn't exist. And um, looking from the outside from Alaska, I'm thinking Oregon Food Bank is closer than any other food bank in the country and Oregon as a state is closer than any other state in the country to making that goal a reality because the infrastructure of food assistance has been built, because there is this 35-year history of collaboration and working together and thinking broadly about needs across rural, urban, across um, uh, communities of color, across um, uh, political boundaries, but saying this is uh, hunger is an issue that affects and um, crosses all of those differences. Um, and because this is a state where, which has a balance of political opinion, it seems to me that lasting change is made in the center of the political spectrum um, and that, uh, for the most part, the Oregon legislature works yeah. um, and things get done. Um, and so some of the systems change is really possible here. And then lastly, this is a state where um, this is an agricultural state. We, we grow more than 200 commercial food crops. Um, and we frankly have enough food we leave in our fields yeah. here in Oregon to feed everyone who needs food assistance. So I'm looking around going, okay, this is the state. This is where we can make it happen. And so in the five years I've, I've been here, we've been diving into all of those things. We have been making what we call the can to fresh transformation and um, a third of the food that we're now distributing is fresh fruits and vegetables. Nice. Um, we have um, uh, really been figuring out where are people who need food assistance that we haven't found yet, and we've been working hard to um, crack open immigrant communities and migrant communities and tribal communities and um, communities of color that we have not been serving well to, to figure out how do we do that 
um, culturally competent food distribution. Uh, we have been spreading um, nutrition education and gardening education across the state. Two-thirds of the counties now have that, um, that piece. And we have been um, getting bolder about our, pol- our public policy advocacy and working on um, uh, not just really important issues like making sure that, that SNAP food stamps is available for folks and that school meals are widely available, but also that there's affordable housing and affordable, accessible health care and the other root causes of hunger. Right. Well, you touched upon a couple of things that the Oregon Food Bank focuses on a lot. The self-reliance aspect with the nutrition and garden education programs and the advocating for public policy. I want to talk about all of that. But first, I want to talk about public policy, working with the Oregon legislature. I mean, you, Rachel, you did it for many years. Susanna, you're now doing it. Um, What are some of those, first of all, what are some of those public policy ideas that you push through during your time at the Oregon Food Bank that that, that then came to fruition? Um, A lot of the things we worked on were... um, Again, it's not just about food, and the, and the reason there's a food crisis is people can't pay their rent. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't pay the heating bill. Um, they don't have access to medical care. Um, and one of our great advantages, again, goes back to the fact that we had this statewide network. We worked with uh, OSU to create a statewide survey of the clients to let them inform us of what was what was driving them to emergency food boxes. And uh, we were able to take that information to the legislature and educate them. And because we had a statewide presence, mm-hmm. you know, we we represented all areas of the state and, yeah. and we could say this is a problem in your community too. Yeah, it's not just a Portland metro. So, um, you know, we we worked on uh, energy assistance. We worked on housing assistance. Um, we worked on uh, expansion of WIC, even when the state administrators were opposed to it. We took on minimum wage, which was a very controversial thing. And, and frankly, that was a, a moment for me when... Some of our lo- large donors didn't appreciate that I was on an ad, uh, and one of our forklift drivers were on ads for you know supporting right. uh, the increase in the minimum wage, which you know hadn't frankly hadn't occurred to me in my naivete. But um, let me jump in here. I, I learned how that we had more influence than I thought because <laughs> um, you know at that moment in time, I think things changed over yeah. over time um but we successfully you know it took us we worked on it for 10 years and then now certainly it wasn't Oregon Food Bank alone you know yeah. it was in partnership with many organizations so um and I you know I think Susanna would agree that um the the key to the organization is about partnerships mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) The key is about partnerships and the key is about community mobilization. Mm -hmm. We are as powerful as um, the community that supports us. And we are so incredibly lucky to have folks that volunteer, that donate, that show up and advocate, that 
that just believe. Um, I, re- I have this moment in my mind of remembering right after I'd moved to Oregon, um, uh, uh, living in northeast Portland, walking down the street, and someone was growing corn in that little strip of land between their car and their sidewalk. And I thought, wow, this community is so dedicated to food. <laughs> they will grow corn in this tiny little unwatered strip. I can end hungry here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, since you've been at the helm, what are some of the issues in Salem that you've been working on? Oh, um, it's funny that we're talking minimum wage because Oregon Food Bank weighed in on minimum wage with the legislature, I think it was three, two and a half, three years ago now. Um, we took a, a, a middle of the road statewide opinion um, uh, to, to increase it, but not dramatically because we were worried about job loss and to have a di- urban rural differential. And it was really, for me, terribly fun because we had our, our friends on the left advocating for one thing and we had businesses on the right advocating for no change. And there we were in the center going, you know what? Some change, some measure change is a sensible thing. It will help drive down hunger without um, overly impacting um, the job. So that was, um, for me, a very fun moment. We have worked on affordable housing mm-hmm. um, at the statewide level and at the Portland um, level um, consistently for the past three and four years. And we weighed in on healthcare at the federal level 15 months or so ago. Um, because we had data saying that the number of people who cited access to affordable health care as the reason they were standing in a food pantry line was cut in half after the advent of Obamacare. Yeah. Um, so the connection between needing food assistance and health um, access to affordable health care was just completely evident to us. And I would personally say that in my 22 years of food banking, the single biggest piece of legislation that drove down hunger was um, the Affordable Care Act. Wow. Um, and no food bank, I think, including Oregon Food Bank, and certainly not the food bank I was at at the time, took a position on health care. And I just thought, wow, this has made such a difference in the lives of the people that we are trying to serve. We need to be a voice at that table. That is interesting. That I mean, I, I think about many of the other issues that we've talked about, especially housing, especially in the Portland area. Uh, having a major impact on families' budgets. And when you say that, you know, of course it makes sense, but to have that be that single issue uh, is amazing. In in so many ways, right? Because yeah. it's, can you afford the cost of it? Right. Um, can, do you have access to it? If you don't have access to it because you can't afford the cost of it, then are, is your health suffering, which means that you can't work or you can't be in work regularly right. or your kids aren't getting good health care, um, it has so many um, tendrils Ripple into effect. life. Yeah, the other uh, programs that I was able to see firsthand because I have volunteered with my boys in the uh, repacking of food from farmers. Mm-hmm. That, by the way, is one of the best volunteer opportunities I think around, especially for kids, because then they can take the tour and see all that goes on behind the food bank. And you see the kitchens there and the garden outside. I need to do that again with my boys. We've, we've had a lot of fun doing that. But the, the kitchen that you have there and the garden that you have, um, you have these Cooking Matters classes that provide budget and cooking skills because a lot of folks didn't grow up with a parent that cooks a lot at home. Uh, they might not know the best way to 
get their money's worth at the grocery store, which leads me to the other one, the cooking matters at the store, where they're um, shown how to read labels and compare unit prices and such. The idea behind that, those two classes in particular? Again, it was based on feedback from um, what we were hearing from the client population in terms of cooking matters and the uh, the education, and based on experience of, I, I found myself saying a lot as we were developing those problems, programs, not problems, <laughs> I think my generation was the last one that had home ec, you yeah. know, where you... I learned to cook from my mom, but I also learned to cook at school, and and you know we were taught things like how to balance a checkbook, and and a lot of those programs went away. There was there were these, and maybe they exist now. I hope they do. So we saw that need, and it was in designing the building. We had these two funky buildings that we'd been working out of. For years, and one of the things we found was when we could get people to come in uh, to the warehouse A, their experience was I had no idea hunger was this bad when they saw the volume of food and how can I help? Mm -hmm. And so we wanted that building to be a place that would welcome the community in. And you mentioned with your kids. One of the things I got to do way back in the beginning as a VISTA volunteer in, in uh, 83, we, there was a, a food drive that's been around as long as the food bank, as long as, you know, back to the interagency food bank's beginnings um, called Project Second Wind, where the mm-hmm. kids would collect cans of food. And so one of my assignments was, you know, how do we let the community know about this? We built a mountain of food in uh, Pioneer Square. One of the things we heard a lot when people came in to do uh, the repack of the food mm-hmm. was, you know, I first learned about hunger in the school food drive, Project Second Wind. <laughs> and, you know, and it was like, there we go, generations. Mm-hmm. We get the kids in, they'll remember it, they'll be aware of the issue. Yeah. We are building future volunteers, future advocates people who are engaged in their communities and care about their neighbors. Yeah. We have a theory of change around access to healthy food. Uh, and the, the idea is, is that the first people, uh, the first thing that people need is just access to it. They just need to be able to get healthy food. Um, and we can do that through our food distribution programs, right? Um, make it available. And then there will be a subset of folks, and many folks will know what to do with it. Um, and be able to cook with it. But, but there will be a subset of those folks who need to need additional information and if, additional skills in order to be able to choose that food. And we see our education programs, our nutrition education programs, the Cooking Matters programs and the Cooking at the Store programs as really being helping people to be able to choose among Oregon's bounty and incorporate that into their family's meal planning. And then the last theory is that once you've chosen it, you actually have to eat it. And our We don't think anybody has any choice over that except for the individuals. We can't impact that, but we can impact whether the food is available through a food distribution program, or we can impact whether people choose it through the nutrition education programs. 
the other piece I would just say is that we have a gardening on a budget program, the Seed to Supper program, and we're finding that that is an incredibly valuable tool for our immigrant populations because those folks know how to grow their food. They grew their food in Ethiopia or Malaysia, wherever it is that they're coming from. They just don't need to transfer those skills to Portland. Mm -hmm. So they are excited about it. This is something they're used to doing. They just need to to be able to figure out how to make a Portland or Oregon-centered garden to have then this incredible bounty of food available to them. So uh, we're finding it's one of these ways that we can knit our community together is by saying you already have the skills, they just need tweaking, and then you can share those skills with other folks. You're listening to King's Portland 50 series. I'll continue my conversation with Susanna Morgan and Rachel Bristol in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Susanna Morgan and Rachel Bristol from the Oregon Food Bank. The Oregon Food Bank and their network of 21 regional food banks distributes food to, on average each month, an estimated 260,000 people in Oregon and Clark County, Washington. Rachel retired in 2012 after serving as executive director and CEO, and that's when Susanna took over as CEO of the Oregon Food Bank. Do you have staff that run these cooking and gardening programs or are they volunteer-driven or sort of a combination of the two? It's a train-the-trainer program. So yeah. we have staff who recruit folks to then teach the classes themselves. So for the most part, the staff aren't teaching the classes. Yeah. The teachers are volunteers. Um, but the staff are coordinating and make sure, sure that they happen. I would also say that in the past two years, we've, we've recruited community ambassadors. So from those immigrant communities, folks who speak the language, who, have, um, who are embedded in those cultures to go out and say, look, there's this program available. I'm an ambassador for this program in my community to say that this is something you can learn. And we're having huge success at that peer-to-peer communication and learning. Reaching different communities with folks within their community, yes. really. And we're teaching both the nutrition education classes and the gardening classes in Spanish as well. I saw that you guys collect food from a number of different places. Uh, you get them from farmers, which a lot of the, again, the family volunteers and kid volunteers, you repack that. We repack potatoes and apples and that sort of thing. From manufacturers, wholesalers, retailers, individuals, and government sources, has that changed a lot throughout the years? Do you see some areas adding more to that? Like with farmers, are they starting to go, let's not leave this in the fields, let's bring this you know, to the community to help feed them? Or has it pretty much stayed the same? Um, I would say the categories have been pretty much the same. Um, more recent, the... Uh, Re- fresh pickup from retail is more recent. That's probably the last 10 or 15 years um, when we started that. From like grocery stores? And yes, yeah. yes. The portions have fluctuated. And 
some of that has to deal with the sources, like whether or not there's funding for the commodity program, what the crops are doing, yeah. you know, one year you get a whole lot of potatoes and <laughs> next year you get a whole lot of onions. Um, I would say that Oregon's agriculture community has always been extremely generous. While we had some ch- challenges building our network's capacity to handle the volume available. Mm-hmm. So it was this constant, well, this source goes down, so but there's still this source we could be using more of over here, and and Susanna's really focused on uh, building the capacity of fresh. Um, we made um, some significant inroads in that um, during my time, but that's been a major focus. I know Susanna can speak to that. Uh, building it both for the nutritional aspect mm-hmm. um, as well as the greater consistency in terms of availability. I would say during um, probably the crash in the early 2000s is when we began um, purchasing more food Hmm. uh, to try to, again, improve the nutritional quality and the balance that was available and and simply because volumes had gone down in other categories we would see things like we used to get a lot of dented cans um, from retail warehouses that's pretty much all gone away as inventory practices have changed Um, so there has been a lot of evolution in the food industry that the food bank has responded to as um, other than some softening in the demand, we we did really see um, a major reduction in the need out there over the over the years. Mm-hmm. I would um, I would just add that food banking is used to reinventing ourselves to deal with this. So Rachel's right that there's a lot of fluctuation in the in which category is leading, but there's there's some broader trends. So food banking started in 1967 in Phoenix, Arizona with retail store pickup, picking up from the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And then um, by the 80s, USDA commodities were flowing in and we were building warehouses to deal with truckloads of a single item. And in the late 80s and the 90s, it was manufacturing and um, really connecting with the manufacturers and bringing in, again, truckloads from the manufacturers. But then lean techniques and Kaizen from Japan came in and manufacturing started drying up. uh, and USDA was in a, a lull. And so Oregon Food Bank was leading the way in the early 2000s to go back into retail store pickup. And their most recent wave is into fresh food straight from the farms. So we are we have this 40-year history of reinventing ourselves to be able to take advantage of what's happening in the food industry and where do we see the opportunities. Right now, we're seeing huge disruption in the food industry. Amazon's to purchasing Whole Foods and more and more people are getting their food online and futurists are predicting that by 2025 mo- most consumers will be getting the bulk of their groceries delivered to their door and so we we're looking at this going okay well this is going to be another disruption and, and I'm thinking and I'm here in Oregon lucky enough <laughs> to think wherever people are buying their food it's still going to have to be grown right so if we're paying attention to getting food out of the fields that will that will um, be true 
However, the retail distribution is disrupted. And um, so that will be a source not only of great, healthy, locally grown food supporting Oregon agriculture, but it will also help us weather the next the next set of changes that are coming. Yeah, you have to be very agile with that. I, again, I didn't think of that with food being delivered, how that would change what you get in at the Oregon Food Bank. But yeah, I guess it would. Huge, Crazy. right? Crazy. I, I want to mention one other thing, and that is um, food banking has been driven by what's available, what, what foods are available, um, because we were so far from meeting the need for food assistance. You know, Even today, we're, we're probably 60% there of meeting the need for, for all of the food assistance that's out there. And so, so we didn't have to spend a whole lot of time worrying about, do we have the right foods? We wanted healthy foods, but do we have the right mix of healthy foods because we just didn't have enough of anything? But we're starting to get closer as we're starting to get more than 50% of the need being met. We actually um, went out and did a, a strong 10,000 response survey um, of people accessing food assistance at food pantries and said, what, what do you most want to get? What, are, what is it that you would really love to have mm-hmm. um, from your food pantry? And the answers were, in order, meat, dairy, fresh fruits and vegetables, eggs, and pantry staples like rice and beans, um, masa, pasta. And so we took a look at our inventory and said, oh, good, a third of our <laughs> product is fresh fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, our purchasing dollars are going to purchase staples um, and eggs. Fantastic. Dairy comes in from the grocery stores, um, uh, uh, from retail store pickup. Fantastic. Meat, not so much. That's a that's a problem we have yet to crack. Yeah. Um but it's wonderful for me to feel like after 22 years of food banking that we're actually starting to be able to align um, what we're distributing with what people most want to receive. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Do you see the number of people needing food assistance throughout the state in different areas? Is that, does that stay about steady or do you see, you know, maybe a couple of years in a row, all of a sudden there's this great need in the Portland area or a great need on the coast? Uh, maybe because jobs have moved out or 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 has it stayed steady depending upon the economy? Um, it, it definitely tracks the economy and it tracks um, what's happening with our with our population right right um, and we we have brought more people into the state than uh, people have left for most of the last thirty five years yeah. Um, in fact, when our network, the statewide part, really got started, uh, we had 12% unemployment and um, people were leaving the state. You know, I think we were at a point where we had just under a million people in the state. So wow. now we have 4 million people right. <laughs> in the state. So percentage of population has or at least the percentage we've been able to serve right. has been uh, fairly steady for, or was fairly steady for most of my career with big pops when uh, populations, you know, the, the crash in 2008, which we, we really started to see in 2007, you know, I had realtors calling me up and said, you know, I've donated to the food bank and um, I really support you. And I've had, I'd never thought 
in my lifetime I would ever need help and now I do and I don't I don't know what to do I don't know where to go we were getting we were flooded with calls like that and so you do see these major trends and I and as housing costs are driving more and more people's uh, limited incomes <laughs> to the brink. I imagine you're seeing some of those trends now, uh, Susanna. We are, although we are what eight years of sustained economic growth. Um, uh, what we, 22 years of food banking, and what I see is that hunger has never gone down. Yeah. Um, it's stabilized, but it has never gone down. Yeah. If we don't have a recession in the next 12 months, and if Nothing horrible happens to the federal safety net. Um, there are no huge cuts to federal safety net programs like SNAP. This may be the year in which we actually see hunger start to take a downturn in Oregon. And to me, that would want a hallelujah chorus if we were absolutely able to see that turn down. But hunger is so driven by these huge macroeconomic trends. Yes, you can see pockets of hunger. Oh, that mill shut down. But it's so driven by these macroeconomic trends of unemployment, population growth, the housing uh, stock, that uh, it's challenging for us as a, a, a large nonprofit, but not large enough to be able to impact the entire state's economy. So to me... Figuring out how Oregon Food Bank plays in those systemic pieces, how are we trying to impact those longer run things has been an ongoing challenge. Of course, I'm sure the governor has the same challenge, too. And, you know, um, and the mayor and um, the business community. How do we create a healthy Oregon that works for everybody um, is all of our goals. We're just seeing it through the lens of hunger. Yeah. There are some uh, sobering statistics that I came across And I don't know, some of them seem to come from a few years ago, um, but I think within the last couple of years, 550,000 Oregonians are food insecure with almost 200,000 of those being children. One in five children um, struggle with hunger. And then this one really hits you. About 72% of uh, people who receive food have income below the federal poverty level. And it goes back to what you know what you guys are saying about the minimum wage having a big impact on that and and the economy is good now, but sort of brace yourselves after eight years, you know what's going to happen and so you're having these conversations, I would imagine with folks down in salem and and preparing for that next how do you how do you prepare for a i mean <laughs> I can't even imagine, but a downturn in the economy and just go, okay, all hands on deck sort of thing. The first and most important thing to do is, um, and I see as my job one, is not letting hunger get worse. Yeah. Um, uh, and that is about ensuring that the, um, the social safety net and most importantly, the SNAP food stamp program remains strong because that is our number one weapon against hunger in Oregon and across the United States. And the second is making sure that my infrastructure, the infrastructure of the Oregon Food Bank Network is strong so that we're able to continue that that flow of food and that we're ready to respond in, in the case of an economic downturn. I think we all know it's coming. It's big cycles. Um, and the question is when. And we know that the 
the people who are accessing food assistance now will be the first ones to be hardest hit and that there will be another wave of folks who are just above not needing our assistance who will be now then needing um, that assistance um, in those downturns. What we find is that when the economy is um, bad, the community is incredibly generous that the community will step forward. If, if we are ready to respond, the community will step forward and give us a wave of support in order to do that. Uh, but my, my staff and my board have spent a lot of time thinking um, about how, how, how big we are in relation to the social safety net. And just to throw out a couple numbers, um, SNAP brings in about a billion dollars in grocery purchasing power to, this, to folks in the state of Oregon. If you add all of my assets plus the assets of all of the regional food banks around the state, we might be $150 million. Mm. So all of us together are only 15% of of the SNAP program, which means that it just doesn't take a very large cut to that program to be more than we can possibly meet, which is why when folks say, okay, what's your priority this year, Susanna? I say, well, to take a bullet to protect SNAP. Um, (laughs) That's my job. (laughs) Well, and a little background to that, the possible cuts to SNAP include expanding work requirements and restricting access to the program. And I'm sure that's on a, yeah, I'm sure that's on a lot of people's minds. So I want to wrap up with a question to you, Susanna, since you are at the helm. You know, we talked about taking a bullet for SNAP. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Let's say things stay the same with SNAP. There are no cuts. What is your priority moving forward into the next, you know, five years for the Oregon Food Bank? Is it, is it some legislative action? Is it trying to find uh, more access to the fresh food that's left on the ground? You know, what is it? My single biggest priority is infusing all of the work at the Oregon Food Bank with um, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and figuring out how to transform our anti-hunger system into something that is culturally competent, that works for all communities in Oregon. Um, We are better than we were three years ago and better than we were 10 years ago. But we are still very urban centric. We are we are bounded by the fact that we are most of our employees are Portland based and um, speak English as their primary primary language. And we know that the communities that are most impacted by hunger are the communities that are most marginalized, that are migrant, that are tribal, that are immigrant, that are our generational poverty um, folks of color, and finding new ways to collaborate and embed our processes with those communities so that they f- they own um, the uh, food assistance that feels comfortable and welcoming and a part of their community, I think will be the single biggest transformative change to the food banking network. That will be driven by fresh foods because yeah. whole fresh foods work in every community. So providing whole tomatoes that can be turned into salsa or curry um, or uh, tomato sauce, depending on what your community needs. So uh, that's the transformation I see is this um, really rethinking our network around the communities that need us most and have accessed us least and flooding those communities with access to Oregon-grown fresh foods. Rachel and Susanna, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. Thank you for joining me for my conversation with Susanna Morgan and Rachel Bristol. 
If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.